chapter 6 here, we find uh, the story, the feeding of the 5,000, a true story. Interesting enough, um, not counting the resurrection of Christ and, and, uh, and the miraculous virgin birth of Christ. As far as miracles are concerned, the miracles that Christ performed during his earthly ministry, this is the only one of the miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels uh, are similar in their accounts. John gives a very different account. He, he highlights some other things, and there's reasons for that. But John uh, takes a different approach to the things that he writes in his book about the Lord Jesus Christ. But this one particular miracle is in all four Gospels. You find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, that's quite interesting to me. This miracle that we read about here in John chapter 6, this miracle is not just about feeding a lot of hungry people. And I hope you, you, as we go through the message this morning, I hope you'll realize that and see that. This message is not just about uh, feeding a, a large group of people that were hungry. Uh, I want you to see this this morning. I want you to see that this story, one of the, the principles, one of the, 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 the truths that are, that are here in this story as we read it and go through it, is, is the message of multiplication. The work of God is about multiplication. Not as you think as math, as division, multiplication, addition, and subtraction, but how the power of God uh, takes our little lives, and for some reason I'm still amazed that he wants to use somebody like me, and I'm amazed that he wants to use any of us to do the work of God, but God wants to take us and use us, and then he wants to take our, our efforts and our little bit, and he wants to multiply that, amen? You see, there's, there's Christians all around us, uh, here in this room this morning, and there's people out here that are lost and are dying and, and have gone to a Christless eternity unless they trust Christ to be their Savior. God wants to take people like us and go tell people like them that they need Jesus Christ to be their Savior, amen? And as we go, God does, God does the work. He, he gives us his power. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us his direction, his protection, and all those things. As we go and take the gospel seed, and give out the, uh, the gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we go and we tell somebody and they trust Christ to be their Savior, we try to get them to come to church and we want them to get baptized. And we want them to join this church or a church of, of like faith that would preach and teach the word of God. And then what we want to do is follow the Great Commission all the way through. We want to teach them and disciple them all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded. Amen? You see, that's the Great Commission. It's not just going out and sharing the gospel. It's also getting them baptized and teaching them. Uh, the scriptures, all things that Christ commanded. That's the, that's the great commission, all three components of that. And as we do that, as we teach them uh, what, how to go be a soul winner, now they go out and they tell somebody else about Christ and they get somebody saved and, and, and that person gets baptized and they come to church and we start discipling them and then that person goes and tells and, and, and the story just keeps going, amen? And that's, uh, that's how it works with us as Christians. We tell others and, and then we, we see them get discipled. It's also the same uh, with churches, a church like this, a church like this is, uh, is to beget other churches like this. Did you know that? A church like this is supposed to start other churches like this one, amen? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, dogs give birth to dogs, right? And, uh, and cats to cats and cows to cows and humans to humans. And churches ought to give birth to more churches, amen? And uh, it's fantastic that we have a a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church here in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. But that's not all that God wants this church to do. God wants to take this church and help plant and start other churches. And that's the work of multiplication because you, as you do that, now you plant a, another church in, a, in an area that needs a gospel-preaching church. 
And now that church is there, and that church is planted, and that church goes out and starts knocking on doors, and that church starts telling people about Jesus, and that church stands up in a pulpit like this and starts preaching the word of God. And now more folks are coming to Christ because of your efforts and what you've done in following in obedience to the Lord to start another church somewhere else. And that's what God wants to do. It's the work of multiplication. So as we try to lead others to Christ, uh, it just keeps multiplying itself as we go through. And that's how, that's how, that's how we can reach a world that has almost 7 billion people in it. How's a church with a less than 100 people going to reach 7 billion in the world? Our church is about 125. We're not much bigger here than, we, than here. How's a church like mine or yours going to reach 7 billion people? As we go through this story today, I hope it becomes very evident to you that we're not going to do it on our own strength. Amen. <laughs> we're going to need the power of God. We're going to need his, his uh, omnipotence and his omniscience to do that as we, as we give out the Great Commission. Our job is to obey. Amen. Our job is just to obey. There are churches. I want you to, as we see this story here this morning in John chapter 6, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 6 here in just a moment. There's churches all across our land. There's churches all across our land whose goal, listen to me now, whose goal is to feed the hungry and clothe the poor. That's their goal. And, and, and those, are, those are noble efforts. It, it's, 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 it's commendable to, to feed the hungry and clothe the poor. Amen. But I, I think you already know this, but I just want to remind you <laughs> that the greatest... Uh, job of any church, the greatest opportunity, the greatest ministry of any church that's here on this earth, uh, fulfilling the Great Commission, fulfilling God's plan for that church, it's not to uh, primarily to go and feed the hungry and clothe the poor. Our job is to take the gospel to the lost and dying of this world and show them the love of Jesus Christ and what he has done for them on Calvary. Amen. Now, we might, we might go and feed the, the hungry, and we might clothe the poor, but not as our primary goal, but as an opportunity to share the gospel with others. Amen? We may have a food pantry. We may have uh, a place where folks can come and get clothes. We may have a place where they can come and, and get other needs uh, met here at the church. But the greatest goal, then, is, is as they come, is to not clothe somebody so they can go out here and be warm and still die and go to hell someday. Amen? It's so that we would have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And so our, our objective is to preach the gospel, then to baptize, and then to teach. And, uh, and, and, and teach them all things whatsoever the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us. You see, I don't want to temporarily just meet somebody's, uh, somebody comes knocking on this church door and says, I don't have any, anything to eat, I don't have any money, can you, can you help me out? And I'm sure that your church helps people like that when you can and, 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 and in the right way. But I just don't want to give somebody a piece of bread so they can eat today, and tomorrow they're still going to be hungry. Look at John 6, verse 35. The Bible says this in John 6, 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus told the woman at the well there, he said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. As a church, the Bible Baptist Church here in Upper Darby, the Freedom Baptist Church over in Glen Olden, our main goal, our main responsibility, our main objective for ex existing as a church is to teach and show people the bread of life. Amen? So that they will never hunger and never thirst. I read a statistic uh, recently, 
and uh, on online there on the internet, and half the time you can't believe what you read, so I had to cross-check it and find out, and it seems to be accurate. But it says that one out of nine people in the world, one out of nine people in the world goes to bed hungry every night. One out of nine. And that's hard for us here in, in, in an affluent country like the United States of America, even though we have our needs here. It's hard for us to really wrap our, our mind around that. But around the world, there's people that are that are in great need, amen? One out of nine people. And I also read that about 15,000 people die globally every day from hunger or malnutrition. That's a tragedy, no doubt. And it gets even worse because uh, the, greater, the, the greater tragedy there is this, is that I also read in that same article, there's enough food in the world to feed everybody. Now, there's enough food in the world to feed everybody, but one out of nine people go to bed hungry every night, and 15,000 people die every day of, of hunger or malnutrition. What's the problem? The problem's not in the supply, amen? The problem's in the distribution of the supply. Now, there's a point to all that. <laughs> there's a point to all that. The point to all that is this. As I said a minute ago, there's 7 billion people in the world, the majority of which are probably lost and without Christ. I was in Sunday school this morning. I, I was a couple minutes late. I dropped my wife off and came right over here, and, and I got to hear some excellent Bible teaching, some sound Bible teaching, explaining the sovereignty of God, amen, and, uh, and, and how we believe as Bible-believing Christians, as Baptists. We believe in free will, and we believe that man has a free will to, to reject or accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. There's 7 billion people in the world. Uh, contrary to what some religions teach, that are false, there's enough saving power, listen to me now, there's enough saving power in the blood of Jesus Christ to save everybody in this world. There's enough. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. There's enough. 1 John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's enough blood there for, from Jesus' body to save the whole world, amen? I don't believe in limited atonement. I believe there's enough blood to save anybody that will come to Christ. Romans 1.16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There's enough saving power to save everybody in this world. Jesus Christ is omnipotent, amen? And he didn't, he didn't just die for some, he died for all. He died for all. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that he did, because I'm one part of that all, amen? And so if there's enough saving power to save 7 billion people in the world, what's the problem? Why are most not saved? The problem's not in the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is in our distribution to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. Are you with me? And I'm not trying to indict anybody here this morning. I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody. The problem is in the distribution, not just in your church and in my church, but in churches like ours all across this great land and all around the world. There's a problem there that we don't get the gospel out like we need to. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, Paul was writing to the, to the carnal church there at Corinth, and he said this. He said, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, and the Holy Spirit, through Paul, said this, I speak this to your shame. 
There's people that don't know about God, don't know about God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, don't know that he came and died on the cross for their sins. And he said, I speak that to your shame. You haven't told them. You haven't gotten the gospel out. You haven't distributed it to everybody that needs to hear it. Did you know? Did you know that you cannot give the gospel to the wrong person? You can't give the gospel to the wrong person. Well, I don't. I didn't share it with that person there because I, I think they go to church and they might be saved and I, I, they're pretty fairly religious and they seem like good moral people. So I. You can't give the gospel to the wrong person. You ought to share it with everybody, amen? You and I, we ought to share it with everybody. Everybody needs to hear. I said everybody needs to hear the message that Jesus saves. Amen? And as a church, we must do all that we can from our perspective, from a human perspective, to reach the lost. But we must also realize that we need God to multiply our efforts. We need God to take what we can't do and multiply that and do that for us, in and through us. Amen? John 15, verse 5. John, I mean, This is all introduction. I'm getting to the message here quickly now. John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then he said this, For without me ye can do nothing. Without him, you and I can do nothing. Now, that's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? That sort of takes a shotgun and blows my pride right out the window there. Because <laughs> sometimes I like to think, well, I can do something. Josh, I can do something. Jesus said, no, without me, you can do nothing. Amen? We need his help. There's three things in John 6, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 6 here in just a second. There's three things I want us to see here this morning from this story about the feeding of the 5,000. I want us to see the compassion of Christ. I want us to see the command that Christ gave and then I want us to see the continual coming to Christ. And I hope that will be a blessing to you this morning. I want us first to see the compassion of Christ. Go with me over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And when you get over to Mark chapter 6, we're going to read uh, a similar account here about the feeding of the 5,000. But before we get to that part of the story, in Mark chapter 6, in the context here, in verses 7 through 13, and uh, in verse 7, Jesus, and he called unto the, him to twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits, and he commands them, verses 8 through 13, uh, to do different things as they go out and preach. He's basically sending out the disciples here, the apostles, he's sending them out on a preaching uh, tour, on a preaching mission. And they're going to go out two by two and preach the word of God, amen? Two by two. They're going to go preach the word of God. There's a little uh, interruption here in, that, in this chapter in Mark 6 because in verse 14 we, hear, we learn about the story of Herod and how he stole his brother's sister. And John the Baptist said, that she's not lawful for you to have. That's your brother's wife, not yours. And, uh, and then Herod's uh, wife's daughter comes and dances uh, before him and, and he makes some silly promises to her. And, and what does she want? She wants the head of John the Baptist in a charger. And so there's a little interruption here. John the Baptist gets beheaded for his preaching. For his strong preaching, amen? He lost his head for that, but he took a stand for the righteousness of God there. But we come back to, to the disciples now. They went out on this preaching mission. Christ commanded them to go out. They had been with him, and then they went out. I, I said they had been with him, and then they went out. You don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to say until we first spend time with Jesus. Amen? I've got nothing to offer anybody except Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about you. i got nothing to offer him. I have Jesus to offer him, though. Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, Peter and John said. 
to the impotent man there as they were going into the into the temple there. So we come back to verse 30 of 31 here. In Mark, the apostles gathered themselves together, verse 30, unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing. And many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. If you note in verse 30 and 31, the disciples came back from their preaching tour that they had been sent out to do in verse 7 of this chapter, verse 7 through 13. They came back, and they were anxious. They, were, they couldn't wait to report what had happened while they were out preaching the word of God two by two. And in verse 30 and 31, they're getting ready to sit down and get apart, uh, from everybody else to do that and all of a sudden the people re- recognize Jesus and they recognize them and the Bible says they start coming from all the cities around and they're out they outwent them they outran them and got to the place before Jesus even got there and, and they wanted to hear and, and and see more of what Jesus could say and do and so the rest the rest that the disciples thought they were going to get and the time alone that they thought they were going to get with Jesus they, they weren't going to get it just yet now, imagine with me for just a second, uh, we just came back from a trip to North Carolina. We went down and back in 36 hours, and we're exhausted, <laughs> and I'm glad to be here this morning, amen? Uh, but, but I'll tell you what, we were tired last night. We got in late, and we're trying to spend as much time as we can with our family, and we had a little niece that graduated from kindergarten, and it was a great time, and, and I couldn't wait to get back because I knew I was going to be here this morning to preach. And these disciples had gone out and preached, and they were tired. They wanted some time alone, some alone time with the Savior, Jesus Christ, so they could fellowship with him and talk to him and share with him the, the many things. But, but Jesus said, so you're going to have to wait for a little bit, because <laughs> there's a multitude that's gathered here. Now, in verse 34, it says this. It says that Christ had compassion on the crowd. Did you see that? He was moved with compassion toward them. And he was moved... With compassion, look at what your Bible says in verse 34. Jesus, when he came out and saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them because they looked like they were hungry. Is that what your Bible says? It says because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on this crowd. He had compassion on this multitude, not because they were hungry, but because they were as sheep that didn't have a shepherd. Did you catch that? They had no direction. They had no purpose. They had no meaning. They had no shepherd. And Christ was focused on meeting that need, amen? He had compassion on them because they were as sheep without a shepherd. He was focused on meeting that need. Look at verse 36. Look at the disciples' reaction when they saw the crowd. The disciples said, send them away. Send them away. We want time with you, Jesus. We want some alone time with you. We want to spend some time with you. These people here right now are cramping our style. They're in our way. Get them out of here. Send them away. We can help them tomorrow. (laughs) But right now, we want some time with you. They didn't have much compassion, did they? Did they? And they said, send them away. I, I... Brother Kerr, I hate to admit this, but there's been a few times serving now in the ministry full-time for almost 20 years now. 
There's been a few times in those 20 years where I, I've said to Jesus, send them away. <laughs> just send them away. I'm just being honest here with you this morning. In the flesh, there's been a few times where I, I, I needed some time alone with you, Lord. I need some time alone with my wife. I, need, I just need some time alone. I need to get away from the, the cares of the ministry and, and just send them away. Because you see where there's people, there's usually problems. All of us have problems, amen? Is there anybody here that doesn't have a problem? <laughs> I want to shake your hand. I want to meet you. I want to get your autograph. <laughs> we all got problems, don't we? And a church like this is here. One reason it's here is to be like a hospital to help people, amen? To help people. These disciples, though, they were a little selfish here. They said, send them away. Get them out of here. Send them back and... And uh, they can figure out their own problems. I often found this to be true in my life, Brother Noble. I found this to be true. When, when I've got a problem here with somebody else, or when I have a problem and I don't want to help, help meet somebody else's need, it, uh, this is not the, the, the main part of the problem. The main part of my problem is right here. My fellowship with God ought, is not what it ought to be at that moment. Because if I saw things through the eyes of Jesus, like I ought to see through the eyes of Jesus, I would have compassion on the person standing in front of me that has a need and needs somebody to try to lighten the load and help carry the burden. Amen? Are you with me? The Bible says Jesus had compassion. Jude 24, the end of the Bible there, almost the prelude to Revelation there. The Bible says, excuse me, Jude 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference. Compassion. Compassionate people make a difference. Compassionate people. I looked up in my Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, and it says that compassion is a mixed passion, compounded of love and sorrow. It's one thing to feel sorry for somebody. You walk over, you shake somebody's hand, and, they, and how you doing? And they tell you how they're doing. <laughs> and then you regret sometimes that you ask them how they were doing, right? But they tell you how they were doing, how they're doing. And they've got great needs. There's folks in this room here this morning that have some great needs. And, and we can feel sorry for them. I'll pray for you. I'll, uh, you know, and you feel sorry for them. But compassion is not just feeling sorry for them. That, that, the compassion part there is the feeling sorry, but it's also the love that's mixed with that. Because it says, what can I do to help you? What can I do to lighten your load? What can I do to be a blessing? What can I do this week? To help in your situation. I, I can't take away the burden. I can't do all of that for you. Only, only Jesus can do that for you. Amen. But what can I do to help you? That's compassion. That's love in action. Amen. The disciples said send them away. <laughs> Jesus said no. I, I'm going to have compassion on these people. They have a need. And, and I'm going to meet that need. And, and the need he was interested in. Was the spiritual need more than the physical need. He was going to meet them both. But he had compassion on the multitude because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd. Secondly, I want us to see from this story today, not only the compassion that Christ had, and the compassion that you and I should have as a result of that, but I want you to see the command that Christ gave. Back over in John chapter 6, we read earlier in the Bible reading time, in John chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread? that these may eat. Je Jesus posed a problem here to one of his disciples, a man by the name of Philip, who would become a great evangelist, by the way, in the book of Acts. But Jesus posed a, a question to him. He posed a problem to, to Philip here. And the problem was, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
Now, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Amen. And we learned in Sunday school this morning that God is sovereign. He knows all things. He knows what he's going to do. Nothing caught God by surprise. Didn't catch God by surprise when Adam and Eve sinned. It was already, it was already determined before the foundations of the world that Jesus Christ would come and die on Calvary for the sins of mankind. Amen. Nothing catches God by surprise. He's all-knowing. And he knew what he was going to do here, but he wanted to test Philip. He wanted to prove him. Verse 6 says, he, this he said to prove him. This he said to prove him. I found this out to be true the hard way in my life. I don't know about you. But there's things that God allows into my life. Maybe he allows things into your life sometimes. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's a trial. Maybe it's a circumstance, a situation, a, a burden that God allows into your life. And sometimes I believe God allows those things into our lives to prove us. To prove us. To see if our faith really is in him. To see if our faith really is in the word of God. Amen. To see if our, if our talk and our walk will match. <laughs> and, and God allows these things. He allows it. And he, and, he, and he did this to prove Philip. He did this to prove him. And the Bible says here, as we keep reading here, Philip talks about 200 penny worth of bread not being sufficient for every one of them to take a little. A penny in, in Bible days uh, was uh, sufficient for a man's uh, wage for that day, for a day's work. And, 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 of course, a penny today would not do much of anything. But in Bible days, a penny was a day's wages. And so he's talking about 200, basically 200 days wages here. About two-thirds of a year, if you will, more than half. Philip said, that's not even enough. That's not sufficient to feed this multitude. Then you go on here, and you find Andrew. Or Philip, again, says at the end of verse 7, he says that every one of them may take a little. So you see the words not sufficient, you see a little. And then you see Andrew down in verse 9, he says, but what are they among so many? Talking about the five loaves and the two fishes. He says, what are they among so many? Now, I had to stop and think about that for a second and just meditate on those three thoughts. Not sufficient, a little, and what are they among so many? Can you imagine standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternal Son of God, omnipotent, all-powerful, and saying to him, not sufficient, a little, and what's that among so many? Can you imagine doing that? And yet we do sometimes, don't we? We do. The disciples said, send them the way. Look at what Jesus said back over in Mark 6. I hope you got your finger in both these places here. I'm going back and forth here. Mark 6, verse 37. Look at what Jesus says here. He gives them a command. Now, he said to Philip, what, you know, what are we going to do here about feeding these people? He said it to prove them. And they gave a, uh, a very weak answer there. Back in Mark chapter 6, verse 37, he answered and said unto them. Now in verse 36, the disciples said, send them away. But in verse 37, he answered and said unto them, give ye them to eat. Give ye them to eat. Not sufficient? A little? What are they among so many? Give them to eat. We got five loaves and two fishes, Jesus. Give ye them to eat. There's 5,000 people here besides the women and children, Matthew tells us in Matthew 14, 21. So there was more than 5,000 people, and we got five loaves and two fishes and 200 penny worth of bread, and Jesus said, give you them to eat. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Jesus never gives a command that, that's impossible to obey. Did you know that? He's never given us a command that's impossible to obey. Now, in our human minds, it might seem impossible, it might seem impossible to go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. But it's not impossible. Not with God's help, amen. 
And so he gave them a command. He said, give ye them to eat. God has given, God has given the Bible Baptist Church of Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. God has given the Freedom Baptist Church of Glen Oldham, Pennsylvania. God has given to churches like us that command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This cannot be done in our own strength. We need his power to do what seems to be the impossible. Do you know what's lacking, I think, in some of our churches today? A complete and total dependence upon God. Let me say that again in case you were sleeping. (laughs) One thing that's lacking in many churches today is a complete and total dependence upon God. Amen? A complete and total dependence upon God. I think, you think, we think, we can do this, we can accomplish this. But the truth of the matter is, like I said, we read in John 15, 5 a minute ago, we can't do nothing without him. There's nothing you and I can do without him. Everything that we do, we ought to do in in obedience to command of this book and in a reliance upon his power and his strength and his enablement to get the task done. And yet we try to do everything. We've got church growth gurus out there telling us how to build a great church and and what you need to do to get people to come in, and you need to try this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and we've gotten away from this book, amen? We started reading other books, and we got away from this book. We need to get back to this book and rely upon the one who wrote this book, amen? Well, that's good preaching, <laughs> whether you said amen or not. The command that Christ gave here to his disciples, go or, uh, give you them to eat, the command that he was giving them was designed to help them see their total inability. It was designed on purpose. He said, this he said to prove them. He wanted to prove his disciples. They had been with him now already for a short period of time, and they had seen some things that Jesus had done. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his preaching. They had seen him reach out and help, help needy folks. They had already seen it. There was already enough evidence there to know that he was the Son of God. Amen? And this he said to prove them. And when the test came, in this moment at least, when the test came for Philip and Andrew, oh, not a little, not sufficient. What's this among so many? They failed the test. They failed the test. The command was given to design to help them see their total inability and their need for his omnipotence. And so Christ gave them a command. But a third thing I want you to see in closing today is not only the compassion that Christ had on this crowd, that he had compassion because they were a sheep that had no shepherd. He gave them a command to to give you them to eat. But I also want you to see something here. I want you to see the third point was a continual coming to Christ, a continual coming to Christ. Jesus commanded them, uh, if we go to Mark 6, we would read there in Mark chapter 6. We read there in that passage in verse 40, we could read there. It says, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. We read in John 6, so there was much grass in the place. Most Bible commentators think it was springtime. It was, it was the time of Passover. If you read John chapter 6, verse 4, the Passover feast was nigh. And so there was a lot of grass. He said, make them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. As a, as a Christian school principal, I often say this is the first assigned seating chart <laughs> in the Bible. Amen. He said, make them sit down in groups of 50 and groups of 100. Each disciple, each disciple was given a group or many groups to feed. These groups of 50s and these groups of 100. And what would happen is they would come to Christ. They would come to Christ. The Bible says in verse 11 of John 6, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. 
and disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So Jesus took the loaves. He took the little boy's lunch, the five loaves and the two fishes. He, he gave thanks. He broke them and distributed them to the disciples. And then the disciples went to the groups of fifties and hundreds to feed the people. You with me? They came to Christ to fill their basket, and they'd go out and feed a, 50, a group of 50 or a group of 100. And then that basket would be empty, and they'd have to come back to Jesus and get another basket full to go back and feed another group of 50 or another group of 100. Empty that basket, come back to Jesus. Get the basket full again, amen? Go back and feed another 50 or another 100. Empty that basket, come back and get... Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you know what I think we would have saw that day if we'd have been there? We'd have seen a lot of things. But one thing I think we would have saw if we were there that day is we'd have seen a well-worn-out path to Jesus. Are you with me? I think we'd have seen a well-worn-out path to Jesus. I think we'd have seen disciples going back and forth, getting their baskets full at the hands of Jesus and going and distributing them to somebody else. And then going back and getting their basket full again. And back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until everybody was fed. Until everybody was fed. Isn't that a great truth? You know what there ought to be in our lives? There ought to be a well-worn out path to Jesus. There ought to be a place somewhere in your life. I don't know if it's in your home, your work, or maybe both, or... Somewhere, there ought to be a private place in your life where, where maybe the carpet's a little worn out because you've been on your knees in prayer for so many, for many hours. There ought to be a chair that's worn out a little bit because you sat in it and you talked to God quite a bit, going back and forth to Jesus. Every time a problem came, you run to Jesus, amen? Not running out to the world, not running to this person, picking up the phone, and, oh, I got, I got a problem, I got a problem. No, we, we run into Jesus, amen? Every time running to Jesus to get those baskets full. And I found this to be true, Mr. Kerr, in my life. A lot of times, you know what I try to do? And God help me. But you know what I try to do sometimes when I'm in the flesh and not in the spirit? I tried to feed people with empty baskets. I try to feed people with empty baskets. I'm trying to, I'm trying to take my little basket, my little meager efforts, and here, have, have a little loaf and a little fish. trying to feed all those people on your own on your own strength and, and, and you're not going to get very much accomplished with that are you so why don't you come to me let me fill up your basket and then you take that basket that I'll fill up and you take that and go feed some people with that amen you see it's the bread of life that people need <laughs> not my little loaf but the bread of life and I think what will help create a well-worn out path to Jesus is what we need to realize from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. And I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5 says this. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Our sufficiency is of God. One more thing that I noted in this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. As long as there was a demand for food, there was a supply. As long as there was a demand, 
As long as there was somebody that was still hungry and needed to eat, there was a supply. Christ didn't run out, did he? He didn't run out. The Bible says he took that little boy's lunch, probably enough just to feed him from human perspective, and maybe one or two others. And the Bible says he broke it, and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. I, I, I think i got to say something about that. He gave thanks. He gave thanks that he had a little boy who was willing to give his lunch. Did you, did you hear what I just said? He gave thanks that there was somebody who was willing to be used of God. Little boy, I, I don't have much, Jesus. I've got five loaves and two fishes. Whatever you can do with that. Jesus said, I'll take that. Thank you. Thank you. And he broke that. And he distributed that. And he fed a multitude with that little boy's lunch. Here's the disciples. <laughs> well, I don't know if that'll be sufficient. I don't know if that's enough. That's a little. What's that among so many? And Jesus said, thank you for giving what little bit you have. Thank you. And he broke it and he fed a multitude of people. You might be sitting here this morning and you say, I don't have much. I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of this, a lot of that. What do you have? Jesus will take it. <laughs> and he'll say thank you. And he'll use it to feed multitudes, amen? He'll use it to feed multitudes. There was, a great, there was a great need. There was a great demand, but the supply was greater than the demand. This miracle, back in John chapter 6, verse 11, this miracle took place in the hands of Jesus, not in the hands of the disciples. Jesus took the loaves. He had given thanks. He distributed to the disciples. And every time the disciples came back to him, they came back to him. The miracle was taking place in the hands of Jesus, amen? The miracle wasn't in what I go out and do. The miracle was in what Jesus did. The Bible tells us in verse 12 and 13, When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Jesus doesn't waste anything. Amen? He doesn't waste anything. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Filled up the baskets. Everybody was full. Everybody had gotten enough and was satisfied. The multitude. And Jesus said, now go and, and gather up what's left. Fill up the baskets one more time. And they filled them up. And I think a couple things may have happened there at that point. I think the little boy, his lunch got multiplied, amen. And he had a whole lot more to eat now than he did before the story started. But you know what else I think happened? Those disciples who had just came back from that preaching ministry, that preaching tour, who thought they were going to get some time alone with God, and got mad when the multitude showed up and they didn't get their time alone with God. And they had to sit and watch and serve for another several hours. Now, with their full baskets, they were going to get some time alone with Jesus. Amen. Recognize today, with me if you will, recognize that you and I are insufficient. And Christ is all sufficient. Give all that you have to Jesus, and he'll take care of the rest. Amen? Just give your all. Be willing. Surrender what you have. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Put it in his hands and watch what Jesus Christ will do with it. See people as Christ sees them. Have compassion. People are not burdens. They're people for whom Jesus has compassion for, and he wants to use you to be a blessing to them. Amen? Thirdly, wear out that path to Jesus. Wear it out. You can't make him tired by coming back multiple times a day. You're not going to wear him out. He's not going to say, nope, sorry, you've been here five times a day. No more. 
You're not going to get a busy signal. You're not going to get a, a voice automated machine. Amen. I can't stand those. <laughs> You're not going to get one of those. You're going to get a loving Heavenly Father who's there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never tired. Resources don't run out. Amen. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every land. And he's got enough to meet every one of your needs and every one of the needs of the 83,000 people that live in Upper Darby Township and the 560,000 people that live in Delaware County, amen, and the 7 billion that live in our world. Little is much when God is in it, amen. Let's bow for a word of prayer this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I think we're going to have somebody come in just a moment and play a closing song and somebody's going to come and lead the closing song but while your heads are bowed for just a moment this is more of a message to those who know christ as a personal savior but we mentioned about the bread of life maybe there's somebody here this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and and you don't know christ as your personal savior the greatest need that you have is to trust christ today and to partake of the bread of life jesus christ came two thousand years ago he came for one reason he came to die on Calvary for your sins and for mine. And he loves you. And this church loves you. God loves you. And you're here today and you'd say, Brother Zerman, I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that? I won't come down. I won't call you out. I won't make you come up here. just want to pray for you. Is there anybody like that here at all this morning? And you'd say, the rest of the church is here this morning. You'd say, Brother Zerman, as, as the message was being preached, God spoke to my heart. Would you pray for me? God spoke to my heart today pray for me see many hands father today we thank you for this this tremendous story and the principles that we can glean from this story in our lives lord we thank you that little is much when god is in it and lord i pray that each and every one of us would just get in on what god is doing and what's to do and what to accomplish in this earth in the time that's left lord i pray that we would work and occupy till you come I pray that we would surrender what we have. I pray that we'd wear out a path to Jesus, to the throne of grace each and every day. And that, Lord, we'd seek your strength and wisdom and help and power, Lord, to enable us to be all that you'd have us to be. And teach us now these truths, Lord. Help us to apply them to our lives. Help us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.